Welcome to the return of the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns, and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. Visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want, into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. (laughs) Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a -a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you. Of course, it's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. Hello, my primal endurance friend. I am so excited to be back on the mic. After over a three-year break from cranking out shows, I invite you to go back and listen to the wonderful shows in our catalog. We're going to highlight certain ones and republish them to bring them more attention and also deliver you fresh content about that wonderful, exciting, and often frustrating challenge of training for daunting endurance events in the context of hectic, high-stress modern life. So I can't wait for you to enjoy fresh content in conjunction with me taking over the hosting of the epic Primal Endurance Mastery Course located at primalendurance.fit. Oh my gosh, I spent a couple years of my life traveling around all over North America, interviewing many of the world's leading experts in all these categories that are so important to your endurance training and racing goals, especially reconnecting with my old-time athletic friends and hearing them as they sit back on the rocking chair on the back porch talk about the times when they were at the very, very top of the sport, pushing the envelope of human performance. You're going to get so much value out of these interviews that are not published anywhere else. So the Primal Endurance Mastery Course is going to be an epic journey of discovery and knowledge acquisition and focus and motivation for all of your endurance goals in all sports. It is by far the most comprehensive online endurance mastery course ever known to the planet. And I strongly encourage you to sign up. You'll get so much more value out of the podcast as well. And you can also check out a free introductory course to know uh, what's coming in further detail. And it's a nine video series, short videos of the nine-step approach to becoming a primal endurance athlete. 
You also get a free ebook uh, that details detailed overview of the primal endurance approach. So how can you lose with that offer for a free mini course and further scrutiny of the full length course over at primalendurance.fit. And as we reestablish this podcast, I welcome you to be part of the effort. And the way you do that is to email podcast at bradventures.com, B-R-A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, podcast at bradventures.com, with all manner of questions, comments, and feedback, especially questions about your training and competitive goals and experiences, especially those that might be of interest to other listeners. So if your left knee hurts, that's a bummer. If you want to ask a general question about how you can strengthen and prevent uh, knee trouble in the context of training for endurance sports, those are better worded questions. But we love that feedback and we really want to make this a community experience and generate some great Q&A shows and also suggestions about content, guests, everything. We're in this together Let's do it right, people. You spend all that time and energy on training, on equipment, and now we're going to get the strategy and the philosophy down pat so we won't make those mistakes, including a lot of do as I say, not as I did. So I get to reflect here decades after my elite endurance career has ended, but I'm still fighting the battle every single day, especially in my beloved sport of speed golf, which is definitely... Uh, an endurance challenge because you're running the course at high speed and trying to hit good shots and sink putts with your heart beating out of your chest. Uh, So I thought on this show, uh, especially if you're a new listener, but hey, for everyone, even the older listeners, it's been a few years. So uh, I wanted to give you a little background where I'm coming from, my athletic career, and what I I stand for, what I'm all about, uh, woven into the the primal endurance approach. So we're going to hit on some Uh, big picture items like that. As far as my background, you can read a detailed, lively, entertaining presentation on bradkearns.com. I think the link is Brad's life story. But for now, greetings. I have been an athlete, author, and coach in the endurance scene for many decades, dating back to the 80s when I began my career on the professional triathlon circuit and also began coaching athletes. So uh, a lengthy career coaching athletes And as far as competing, uh, I had a pretty hard nine-year binge on the professional triathlon circuit traveling all over the world. And uh, aftermath, coaching athletes for decades, writing books. You can find the Primal Endurance book that I co-authored with Mark Sisson. And also on Amazon right now, a fun, inspiring, and philosophical read called How to Improve Your Triathlon Time. I think you'll love that short read with a lot of personal anecdotes from my training and racing career. But my endurance career started in high school, unwittingly, you could say, because I was too small for the football team and I was cut from, uh, in the Los Angeles big public high schools, they have uh, they had four basketball teams and I was cut from the last one. It was called the C team. So I couldn't even make the C team. Forget about the varsity, the JV and the B team. Uh, that was a rough one. So I got uh, kicked out of the gym. My name was not on the list. And I took out my frustrations running in circles around the track and running in the mountains on the cross country team. And boy, wasn't it wonderful to uh, find a place to land as a high school student, especially one passionate about sports. And I took to uh, the, the endurance community and the, the group there, the grouping of the cross country kids 
and the long distance running track kids. And it was really wonderful, made some close friends, still have them today. Uh, but as far as my, my purpose, I really love the quote from the great American miler, Jim Ryan, where he said, uh, he was asked, why did he start running? He said, mainly to get attention from the girls and to find his place in the social order of high school. <laughs> and so for me, I'd say that rang true for sure. And also that competitive intensity and that, that true frustration that I was not going to uh, see my way through a football or a basketball career uh, at this giant LA City Public High School that has sent many players to the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. I mean, this was big time competition. And I was a pretty good athlete. So I wasn't one of those guys that uh, said I had to go running because I was uncoordinated. I was a, a superstar quarterback in, in flag football at the park. And I was also on the all-star team uh, for the, the Park League of Basketball. Uh, but when I showed up at Taft High School as a sophomore, that's when high school started in L.A., I was five foot five, 115 pounds at the weigh-in. And so that wasn't going to work uh, against the high-level competition in a big city like Los Angeles. So it took me a while to get motivated when I joined the cross-country and track teams. Any parents listening, uh, a, a note of interest, note of warning, that in something as difficult and challenging and grueling as endurance training, the motivation has to come from within. And I've talked a lot about the uh, overpressurized youth competitive experience that we see today where everything is escalated. It's almost like today's high school athletics is like college used to be. And today's college athletics, literally with the new legislation and the changes, is like the professionals. So uh, everything so escalated, so intensified, and it was nothing like uh, we experienced way back in the day where um, the organization, the structure was pretty loose. And my first act when I was on the cross-country team was we would jog a little bit away from the school, and then I would duck into the gas station bathroom and hide there until everyone had gone. And then I would just head home and have a meal and jump on my trampoline and have some fun. Uh, but thanks a lot to Peer Influence, and my good friends to this day, Dr. Stephen Cobreen, Stephen Deitch, and Dr. Todd Pearsons, these guys kind of brought me along and motivated and inspired me. And I went from the hide in the gas station guy uh, about a year and a half later to a very serious and uh, high performing high school runner. Uh, I was a finalist in the National Junior Olympics at age 16. Uh, ranked 12th in the nation. And in the California State High School meet, which is a very competitive meet, I made it to finals in, in the mile and took ninth place. So I was all set up to head off to college and compete at Division One level for UC Santa Barbara. And that was an unmitigated disaster in every possible way you could imagine. So I showed up on campus and I actually had a great season, my freshman cross-country season coming off of my own rudimentary high school training. But then as I further immersed into the college system, uh, I got destroyed and I was sick or injured five seasons in a row. So it would be track a freshman and then cross country and then track again. I never ran a single meet in college. And pretty soon um, I had had it. And it was a really uh, difficult time because I'd formed my identity, my, my social connections, uh, my, my purpose as a competitive athlete was such a wonderful experience. And then it was all taken away from me over and over again as I struggled to, uh, to, to line up and do what was asked and what was required in this regimented system. And that's when I really uh, had my first awakening that becoming a skilled endurance athlete 
was about more than just unleashing your competitive intensity day after day after day to put in as many mileage, as high mileage as you could, or to stay up with the pace of the pack in every single workout. I had an awakening that nutrition was actually an important element of being a, a successful athlete. So uh, my habits of just chowing down cereal and making my own brownies and uh, eating them out of a shoebox all day long when I was in college and all those things, I started to realize, hey, I better uh, you know read up on some books, study. And that's been a lifelong journey that went all the way back into the 80s when I was in college, injured, and thinking that uh, maybe the nutritional factor was uh, contributing to this continued breakdown. Um, I learned about recovery and the importance of disciplining yourself to slow down and regulate that competitive intensity. So then instead of staying up with the pack on every single workout, I would pick and choose my spots and uh, notice uh, the voice in my own head telling me to slow down, take it easy, and all these cool things that get lost in the shuffle, especially when you're a young athlete, really trying hard to, uh, to impress uh, the, the coaching staff and your peers and whatever else is going on in your head where you, you want to push yourself hard and, and feel that, uh, that instant gratification of a workout well-performed that might be compromising your long-term progress. So I had had it with the college running scene after a while. And luckily, I discovered the wonderful burgeoning sport of triathlon. So this is in the, the mid-80s, and it was just getting going. So you could watch uh, the Iron Man on TV, and so many people were inspired by that. And interestingly, uh, the campus of UC Santa Barbara was somewhat of a triathlon hotbed. And there were several guys enrolled in school at that time that went on to distinguished professional careers in triathlon. So it was just random good luck that I could uh, make these connections while still a college student and uh, get into the mix with some guys that were excelling at a high level. One guy named Jim Brady was ranked number five on the, uh, the USTS world circuit. And so here's this guy uh, that was known to be one of the top cyclists in the entire sport of triathlon right there on campus. Uh, someone told me about him. So I looked him up in the student directory. I called him up and I said, hey, I'm uh, Brad. I'm a uh, new triathlete. I just left the, uh, the running program and I'm wondering if I can uh, do some bike riding with you. And he said, no. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what are you talking about? No. He goes, I know I always ride alone because no one can keep up with me. And I said, well, can I at least try? Like, can I start out and we can have an agreement that if I'm going too slow, you can take off? And he goes, nah, that's okay. <laughs> I'm like, all right, nice to meet you too. And uh, I'll see you around campus. Um, but I was able to join the UC Santa Barbara cycling team, which was really cool because these guys were very organized and competitive in a sport that I was completely new to. So I had to learn all the rules of pack riding and get scolded 14 times on the same ride because my gestures or my pace wasn't perfect as I pulled through uh, doing the pace lines and things. And I remember one epic day, I was so you can tell I'm not too big of a fan of pack cycling and all the pageantry and the, the pompous behavior that you sometimes see uh, from people in the cycling packs all the way down to their perfect uh, apparel all the time. And I'd show up in a t-shirt looking like a, a real triathlete. And um, sometimes I didn't get the love that I was uh, expecting. But anyway, um, what else is new, right? Is it still going on today? I think so. That's what I hear anyway. Haven't been in any cycling packs in a while. Uh, but uh, one day on a long distance uh, group cycling ride with the cycling team, guess who else showed up? This dude, Jim Brady, the number five ranked triathlete 
in, in America at the time. And somehow we had a double pace line where both of us uh, reached the front at the same time. And we were uh, somehow inspired to put the hammer down like never before. I think people were scolding us and saying, hey, 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 you know, keep the pace steady, whatever. But we just went for it. And we were just flying along at whatever 30 miles an hour for a sustained period instead of pulling off and staying with their workout. And uh, uh, we, this goes on and on for however long. We got to the top of the hill. We looked back. There was no one there. And he looks over at me and he says, okay, I will let you ride with me, but you have to teach me how to run faster. <laughs> so we had a deal there where uh, I would meet him out at the track. We'd do some running workouts together and we'd do some epic uh, long distance bike rides. Also attending school at the same time was Emilio DeSoto and Tommy Gallagher, two guys who had great distinguished uh, careers on the pro triathlon circuit. So that was really fun. And uh, soon after that, a great tragedy occurred in my life and it was called graduation. Yeah. So I went from this idyllic lifestyle at the beach at UC Santa Barbara, pedaling my bike around the wonderful uh, trails all over town, uh, running in the trails along the cliffs and looking at the ocean and swimming and enjoying myself and taking classes and uh, wearing uh, shorts and a t-shirt and thongs every day. And I was thrust into uh, the real world and a career with the uh, world's largest accounting firm. They're now called KPMG. And boy, was that a rude awakening, uh, leaving the beach town and going into rush hour traffic uh, to downtown Los Angeles high-rise building to uh, embark upon my career as a, uh, a an accountant. And so this lasted uh, 11 weeks of pain and suffering, and I just couldn't take it. It just felt like uh, the worst fit ever like uh, my life was, uh, you know, <laughs> spinning into a spiral down. I, I couldn't believe where I was uh, getting dressed in this suit every single day. And so I spent a lot of time dreaming of becoming a professional triathlete. And back then, at that time, that term was kind of an oxymoron because the sport was so new that there really wasn't a lot of uh, opportunity uh, to make a career of it. There were a few guys making some good money because they were the very best and everyone had heard of them and they were on TV and so they could get some endorsements and they'd put up some prize money for the, the top, top guys. But again, I was just a recreational triathlete participating at the amateur level while I was going to college. Um, and uh, I decided to retire from the firm and pursue a professional career as a triathlete. Um, those guys scoffed when I told them I was leaving uh, for that opportunity, the, the guys at the accounting firm, and they said I could come back anytime, which I thought was really touching and, and generous. But then I realized that they'd spent a lot of those 11 weeks just training me. And so they were down uh, an investment when I walked out of the building so soon. Uh, my parents were really supportive uh, in, in uh, so many ways, including letting me crash at home and live a simple lifestyle so I could get out there and train every day. Uh, but my dad reminded me one day that um, professional athletes are freaks. And so I really shouldn't dream of something that was uh, out of touch. But I countered with this, uh, this idea of my own that anything could be possible if I was able to train hard and spend all day training. And I had a glimpse of my potential uh, from racing pretty well in these amateur events, despite uh, drastically uh, insufficient training compared to a professional athlete. And I want to make that uh, distinction because I showed some potential. I was a pretty good uh, collegiate level runner. So my running skill was on a par 
with many of the professionals in the pack. And I was just drastically far behind in the swim and the bike. And so I thought in my mind, hey, I'm just going to up my skills in these two events by pedaling my bike all day and getting in the water and swimming back and forth. And so uh, it was it was a, a really an ideal mindset to go and pursue this goal that might have been unrealistic in many practical ways, as my dad was trying to elude. But at the same time, um, you have to believe in yourself and you have to go for it in life. So it was a folly in many ways, but I was also extremely passionate about getting out there and challenging myself and pursuing uh, a compelling goal and striving to get better every single day. So I had what I call a pure motivation. And I believe this is the single most important takeaway that I can share with you from my experience of nine years on the professional triathlon circuit is that the results come naturally when your motivation is pure. And by pure, I mean that I was completely uh, involved and enrolled in the process and appreciating the process so much that I got to wake up every day and instead of put on that suit and tie and get in rush hour traffic, I was able to pedal my bike away and go explore the mountains and the beautiful countryside uh, surrounding Los Angeles. And when you have that pure motivation, when you're not so fixated on results and you're not succumbing to the measuring, judging forces of the outside world where your happiness and self-esteem are determined by whether you succeed or fail. And guess what? That was kind of how I was in college as a runner, where my identity was connected to uh, being uh, this fast guy running around the track or running on the course, and all of a sudden it's taken away and I'm the injured guy clapping from the sideline. That was pretty tough emotionally. So having gone through that, and, and grown a little bit, even though I was only a 21-year-old kid still, I realized that the, the beauty was in the, the journey. And so I was fortunate. I was lucky. I was filled with gratitude, as they might say today, although we didn't talk like that back then. Um, I was just pursuing self-improvement. And boy, it was so great to be joined by Andrew McNaughton on this journey. So we came along at the very same time. We were both training in the San Fernando Valley. And of course, we met up and he ended up uh, to be one of the greatest triathletes of all time with a wonderfully distinguished career on the pro circuit. And so we would talk all the time about all the little nuances of getting better in the three sports and the equipment. And we just couldn't get enough of it. And we'd go to the races and have a great time. But we were so far behind uh, the pace set by the top guys. And so when I'd have a good race uh, with a elite field, you know, I'd come in there in 18th and feel positive about that or 21st or 24th. Uh, or if we'd go to a smaller race where there wasn't uh, many of the, the the world level guys, you know, I'd get a seventh or a ninth or a fourth and I'd be ecstatic. I remember when I got my first paycheck, I think it was um, $200 for placing fourth uh, in a local race. And so now I could really and truly call myself a professional athlete. Um, I remember, uh, you know, uh, we, I didn't even want to cash the check. I think my, my dad wanted to uh, take a picture of it or put it in a perm plaque frame. So I was having a ton of fun. I was also very serious and very competitive. Uh, but in the background and looking over my shoulder was reality. And uh, one could easily contend that this was not a career that was going anywhere, uh, picking up $200 checks uh, after uh, whatever six months of uh, nonstop uh, full-time training. Meanwhile, my peers were headed off to uh, literally a Wharton MBA program, Harvard Law School, uh, medical students, PhD students. And so the reality checks were ever present 
for this, um, it was, I guess you could call it a, uh, a surfer dude lifestyle with a little uh, torture, pain and suffering added from the hard training. And so I was going along, enjoying the moment, right? But with uh, the beast breathing down my back very gently. And then a funny thing happened at the end of my first year, my rookie year on the professional triathlon circuit. And I went to this big race at the end of the year in Palm Springs, California, and I upset the uh, the, the two number one ranked triathlete and the number one ranked do athlete in the world who were going to this showdown, this big event where the two number one guys would face each other. Uh, but rather than either of them winning, uh, I upset everyone in the pack and came across the line in first place. It was so unknown that um, the the media, you know, swarmed me after I crossed the finish line and they had two questions for me. First, did you complete the entire course? <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you very much. And second, what's your name? And so uh, that was a big uh, turning point in my, my, my triathlon folly because I was suddenly on the map overnight, right? Literally. And I realized that this could uh, represent a career path with continued progress, especially because there was a rematch race six weeks later. So now instead of being a nobody and having to pay uh, $45 for the Super 8 motel, I'm getting the uh, the VIP treatment. They gave me the race bib number one, um, people whispering as I walk by, all that kind of thing uh, as I'm roaming around the, the event site down in Palm Springs. Uh, and on the second event, uh, rather than these guys, you know, taking that target off my back, uh, I literally won the race by a mile. I was five minutes ahead of a pack of the the best athletes in the world. And this has been described by uh, many in the sport as the greatest upset in the history of multi-sport competition and will probably never be equaled because the sport is so much more sophisticated now. There's not going to be a guy coming out of the woodwork uh, with no shirt on because I didn't have any sponsors, so I didn't have a little racing top. I just had skin. Uh, and that guy will not beat uh, the Olympic gold medalist and the top-ranked guys ever again. So... Uh, guess what? This is a cute little story. I love relating it to you, of course. Uh, it's a fond memory. But you might guess what happened after that ensuing victory, where now I really blew up and I'm on the cover of magazines and uh, getting interviewed and getting sponsor attention and all those things. Yeah, guess what? Now it was time for the uh, folly of the, the Brad path to get more serious, more focused. Uh, increase my motivation, uh, time my workouts more accurately, uh, compete with my training partners, because of course, they're competing with me now. Everyone who's training with me is looking at me as like uh, the benchmark, right? And so as you can imagine, I struggled from the incredible success that was thrust upon me in a very short time frame. And I left behind all the things that had gotten me to the, the, the top of the sport and in tremendous escalation in a performance and improvement over a short time. And when you start getting uh, measuring and judging your results and feeling that tension, that anxiety, that nervousness of upcoming races, because now everyone's paying attention to me, they expect me to win or they expect me to do well. Now I'm signing contracts with sponsors, so people are paying me to race. So I have all kinds of outside pressures that I wasn't you know, strongly adapted to cope with as the easy breezy uh, guy who went through his, uh, his rookie year anonymously. And so when I forced things to happen unnaturally in pursuit of fitness progress, that's when I struggled and really uh, had to learn the hardest lessons of getting my ass kicked after I had gotten all this attention. 
And so uh, the reason I'm sharing these things with you, there's takeaway points, right? <laughs> and, and those are that you, you cannot force, you cannot rush the process of fit, fitness to happen. Uh, it's very unwise to compare yourself to other athletes in terms of your training protocols, because people uh, vary so much. And what's appropriate for one athlete might not work at all for another athlete. And that was uh, a rough one because I was a little more, uh, a lot more uh, sensitive and fragile to training stress than many of the people that I encountered, especially at the elite level. You're going to find, as my dad reminded me, uh, there's some freaks out there that could train all day, every day for hours and hours and not get tired and not suffer from the breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury that was so familiar to me uh, starting back in college when I couldn't even handle uh, a, a very mediocre uh, Division One college running team. So as we kind of get, get through the story, advance through the story uh, that ended up to be nine years on the professional circuit, it really was a roller coaster ride of highs and lows. And of course, like everybody reminds us, you learn so much from your failures, but I also learned a lot from my successes and uh, everything was a wonderful learning experience. And at my best, I was two-time national champion. I reached number three ranking in the world. I won seven races in a row at one point in 1991-92. I was specializing in the Olympic distance races, which is the uh, 1.5-kilometer swim, 40K bike, 10K run, the distance that you see contested in the Olympic Games now. We didn't have the Olympics back then. We were just striving to get in there, and it finally got in in 2000. That was after my time. Uh, but I also did some good long-distance racing. I got fifth in the World Long Course Championships in Nice, France. And I've had the American record in the Hawaii Ironman for the 24 and under age group for 33 years and counting now because I did an 857 uh, at the age of 24 early on in my, in my career on the circuit. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Uh, so uh, that ended at the tender age of 30 and I really felt beat up 
and chewed up and spit out and I'd given it everything I had and I was past my prime. And so, boy, when you have that awakening, when you're out there doing a workout and your times are much slower than they were two years before, um, it's kind of a graceful way to exit the sport. I do not have any unfinished business or any uh, itches to scratch on the triathlon circuit by the time I left because it was just uh, so grueling and so tiring. I did the best I could. I got the most out of my body and it was definitely time to go. So in the years after that, uh, I did some crazy endurance stuff. I completed a 50 mile trail run. Um, and I also became the first person to cross the Sierra Nevada on a mountain bike. After three failed attempts at discovering a route, I finally uh, succeeded at going from the Sierra foothills, my former home of Auburn, California, uh, riding over remote logging roads, foot trails and Jeep trails, 84 miles uphill, uh, all the way to Lake Tahoe, 13,000 feet of climbing, taken all day. I later produced an event and helped some other people do this epic crossing of the Sierra. So these uh, endurance excursions were fun. And I was getting on with my life, uh, pursuing a career, raising kids, uh, normal life. And I thought that by occasionally getting out there and doing some uh, big endurance performance or heading out to jog a few days a week for an hour on the trail and uh, get on the bike for a couple hours on the weekend, uh, I figured that I was preserving uh, this incredibly high level of fitness uh, in my mind, right? This ex-pro triathlete, uh, the ageless wonder, I thought would keep me bulletproof for life. But I very quickly uh, had an awakening that I was only competent in a very small sliver of what can represent uh, total functional health, lifestyle, longevity, fitness. And uh, that was um, a nice awakening because uh, the rest of my life has been all about that, broadening my scope of fitness and pursuing new, different, age-appropriate goals that uh, protect my health and promote longevity rather than uh, that time on the professional circuit. I think in any sport, you have to make the sacrifices for those incremental improvements that will indeed uh, challenge and typically compromise your health. And so uh, there's a time and a place for everything. And I think um, it's a wonderful experience to be able to go for it and push the very edges of uh, human endurance and what your body is capable of. But then um, spending the rest of my life kind of unwinding that and staying away from that extreme approach that challenged my health and looking to things like high jumping and speed golf that are uh, sensible and require all kinds of different fitness competencies. And I think the real awakening was... Um, going out there and uh, coaching my kids' sports teams uh, starting when they were five years old. So that was a, a decade there from uh, up into high school. And so when I'm uh, coaching little kids playing soccer, basketball, and track, uh, my goal was to dominate them from start to finish every practice so they, they would learn how to be competitors themselves. And I could set an example as a participatory coach. Uh, but it was kind of rough because I'd uh, get sore and tired after a soccer practice with eight-year-olds. And that's when I realized, boy, maybe I could bring um, some other fitness attributes into focus and, and broaden my perspective. So that's the full disclosure. My days on the starting line of extreme endurance events have long since passed. But now I'm focused on my precious speed golf goals. Uh, trying to get around the, that five miles, typically, uh, golf course as fast as possible. I've placed in the 
world championships in the professional division. Five times I placed in the top 20. So I'm right around the, the 20th guy. There's a ton of guys that are faster than me. I used to be one of the faster guys when I played speed golf uh, years ago. Uh, so now I'm just trying to hang on, keep a respectable pace and hit those shots straight. But I'm also fond of this offshoot that I discovered uh, of the Guinness World Record for the fastest single hole of golf ever played. And I trained with great passion and intensity to try to break that record in 2018. And that was a wonderful journey. I'm going to put in the show notes a link to a podcast where I describe that process in detail on the BRAD podcast and also a link to the YouTube video. Not too much to ask because it took me a minute and 38 seconds. So it's a quick video, people, of me playing a par five and sprinting full speed between shots. So today I'm a speed golfer and a sprinter and a high jumper. And I have so much passion for these competitive goals that when I clear the high jump bar in an empty high school stadium that I often have to climb the fence uh, to get into and bring my own high jump standards and throw those over the fence and set them up, I scream with delight. And it feels to me just as significant as winning a big race on the pro circuit uh, and having the ESPN cameras there and the excitement of the cheering crowd and all that great stuff. So I think we have to bring it back to uh, cultivating this internal passion for competition and maintaining uh, competitive intensity throughout life in an appropriate manner and having that edge and that's something that really gets you going in the morning and you're excited and you're motivated. And the emphasis is on the journey and your personal pursuit of peak performance. I remember getting a lot of questionnaires back from uh, coaching clients where they'd write something about, I want to finish an Ironman someday so I can be an inspiration to my children ages eight and 10. And I'm like, you know what? Eight, eight and 10, they do not give a crap about their parent going around for 14 and a half hours while they're uh, dragged around and compelled to uh, watch the end of the bike and the start of the run. So it's not about being an uh, inspiration to your children. You can do that in many other ways. And I think the, again, all about the journey, if you're leaving a, leading a healthy fit lifestyle and heading out uh, on, on training sessions and coming back and, and feeling uh, energized and exuberant, that is the, the best role modeling you can do. Uh, but to try to keep things in perspective and um, get over yourself, as I like to say, uh, when we see the overly um, uh, pressurized, overly intense approach to uh, athletic goals uh, here in normal adult life. Okay, so that was a long-ish journey through my athletic career, but I think the points that I tried to make are really important and relevant to uh, what all of us, the challenges we face every day, uh, particularly that we still are at heightened risk of our strengths becoming our worst enemy because generally in the endurance scene, we are talking about a subsection of the population that has those type A attributes, the, the high competitive drive, focus, discipline, work ethic, all those wonderful attributes that can easily turn on you if they get out of hand and you don't regulate them properly. So it's really important to get clear about our purpose for training and competing in endurance sports. That's why I made that quip about the eight and 10 year old, don't give a crap what your time is in the Ironman. <laughs> it's, it's all about uh, using your endurance outlet uh, as, as a vehicle for personal growth, 
rather than an outlet for obsessive compulsive behavior or a way to punish yourself uh, in some subconscious manner that you need to go out there and suffer. Uh, So when you can formulate an enlightened perspective and a strategic approach where it's not just about struggling and suffering uh, to, to balance how comfortable and easy modern life is, but it's more of a, a peak performance journey, that is when we are getting into the sweet spot. Um, and so what do we need to, to qualify here? Well, we need to prioritize peak performance, of course, rather than being a, a finisher or a participant or the guy who never misses the Tuesday night workout even when his knees sore. Uh, so we need to uh, prioritize peak performance. We need to protect our health in the process. So an athletic goal that you're pursuing that is compromising your health, uh, you better be getting paid a lot of money as a pro because otherwise that just it doesn't make any sense. I don't see any rationale for that. And then also it would be really, really nice if our athletic pursuits promoted longevity rather than compressed our lifespan, which they can literally do when you get out of hand and out of balance of stress-rest balance. Uh, I mention often that that 10-year period of time that I spent on the professional circuit, I very likely aged from a scientific cellular perspective. I probably aged 15 to 17 years. Uh, that's how that's how difficult it was flying around on jets all over the world and putting in that kind of training volume and putting my body under that kind of stress. It was an accelerated aging process for that period of time. And now what I'm trying to do is unwind it. So here at 57 years old, I'd like to think that I have the uh, the competitive attributes to, let's say, uh, qualify for a spot on the varsity track team uh, if they need someone for the mile relay or other markers of uh, delayed uh, aging process. My high jump height, I just cleared 5'1 early this year at the age of 57. And you can guess what my PR was in high school. I was a casual high jumper. I go over there after doing the the grueling endurance workouts. And I was this skinny little runner guy who didn't have much power or, or, you know, technique. And I cleared five feet. So I'm better than I was in high school in the high jump, Uh, but certainly not the mile. And that's okay because that's uh, a lot of pain and suffering and probably would be a very difficult, inappropriate goal for me to go out there and hit the big miles and the hard workouts that you need to run a really fast mile. Although power to the guys in the master's track that are putting up some amazing times, even in the older age groups. Okay, so we have to um, prioritize peak performance, protect our health, promote longevity in the process, and never fall into that trap of more is better, nor allow your ego to uh, drive the narrative, the storyline of your endurance athletic career. Uh, We want to understand that the greatest rewards come not from purely enduring something difficult, although there are rewards and it's a great way to balance comfortable, uh, decadent, indulgent, modern life, consumerism, all that stuff. However, when you approach a challenge with the correct mindset, with the correct preparation and discipline applied, not just in the direction of being able to get out of bed and work hard, but in all directions, including the discipline to rest and proceed with a kinder, gentler approach, that's when you experience the greatest rewards. And you know what? (sighs) I've been talking about this for decades, and it frustrates me to no end that we 
have lost sight of this ideal continue to get this ideal lost in the shuffle that the greatest rewards are not just from struggling and suffering and enduring and getting a finisher medal, but checking all those boxes that you did it right. You balanced it carefully and expertly with all the other life responsibilities instead of letting things get out of balance and being one of those people that jokes about uh, getting out on the bike so you can get away from the, the stress and tension in your house, you know, that kind of stuff. Let's put that to bed and um, uh, move on and progress and try to break through to a more enlightened mindset and philosophy. Uh, the reason I'm so frustrated is we've made so much progress uh, with uh, society, technology. We have all this high-tech measuring and wearables and sophisticated equipment. And uh, boy, you know, now we can uh, upload our workouts onto the uh, the Strava website and see that you're uh, the, the 17th fastest guy going up the hill in your town. You can see what your wattage output corresponding to your heart rate and all this great stuff that can serve to inform good training decisions for sure can serve to motivate you and excite you for sure, but we still make the same simple mistakes of allowing our ego to take over and uh, succumb our least impressive attributes, frailties, peculiarities. Uh, I'm also seeing this in the mainstream fitness community in general, not just the endurance communities where I'm thinking that a lot of us are nodding our heads. It's so obvious, uh, but Look at the sensation of CrossFit and how many cool things about the whole explosion of this uh, alternative fitness community and the great philosophy that they are promoting where you're building uh, broad-based functional fitness with these creative workouts. Uh, but when you get deeper into the community and see what's going on, uh, there's this excess, this approach of uh, struggling and suffering as the priority rather than sensibility. And when people make the same mistakes for decades with an over-exuberant, overly competitive approach to training uh, based on suffering, that's what I'm uh, here to stand against and fight hard to help uh, promote this uh, awakening. And boy, we're fighting against the, uh, the marketing machine, right? Because uh, pain and suffering are glamorized. And that's kind of the essence of mainstream fitness programming and why uh, they want to get they they want you to get uh, value for the money that you spend. So they really want to push your body. I'm talking to a lot of personal trainers now. I'm talking to a lot of group exercise at the gyms. I'm talking to the home based group workouts uh, like Peloton, which has become so popular. And isn't that exciting to get a rah rah workout from a great teacher and crank the music and see how you rank uh, against all other writers? Uh, but in general terms. Uh, there is a high risk here of tipping over the balance point and making it be more about pain and suffering rather than sensibility. Now, I've taken a few pot shots there, so I don't want you to misunderstand me. And I want to emphasize how beautiful it is to see uh, the fitness movement grow, the endurance movement grow in popularity. More people are out there getting out on the trails challenging themselves with ultra distance events and seeing beautiful countryside and scenery and connecting in a way that's uh, probably vastly superior than uh, going to the, the bars and the nightclubs. You can make social connections out on the trail. Uh, so it's so beautiful, so many aspects of it. So I'm really trying to focus in on the most optimal approach rather than uh, put a big paintbrush swath saying that people should uh, stay home and watch more TV. We know that that's not true. And we know that there's 
a, a compulsion, an absolute necessity to strive to balance uh, this overly comfortable, overly indulgent modern life with uh, opportunities to put ourselves under struggle, difficulty, and challenge. Uh, I love the quote from Sir Roger Bannister, the late Sir Roger Bannister, the first human to break four minutes in the mile. And he said, struggle gives meaning and richness to life. Said that in 1955, writing this beautiful book full of uh, insightful quotes when he was only uh, 24, 25 years old and actually retired at the top of his game from running to pursue a career as a physician. But when Roger Bannister says struggle gives meaning and richness to life, he is referring to the struggle against the clock and his uh, calling card of being the first human to break four minutes in a mile at a time when the leading scientific experts uh, contended that that was the absolute human limit and that the human heart might explode if it ran faster than a four-minute mile. This was actually what was going on uh, while he was training and trying to, to, to break through this daunting goal. It was actually stalled. The world record in the mile was stalled for like nine years at 401 until Roger Bannister ran 359 in 1954. He was not talking about struggling through inappropriate training patterns, overtraining patterns, pushing the body too hard, and getting out of balance in life. So I see some uh, unfortunate attributes today. I called out a couple brand names, uh, but I also see uh, a lot of things are getting better, especially noticing the performance breakthroughs of the elite athletes in the endurance sports. Uh, records, fantastic records are getting broken left and right. Track and field, uh, triathlon, um, dudes going way under eight hours in triathlon, Ironman distance, um, all the records of the great runners, uh, Kipchoge running a marathon in under two hours. It's astonishing. And so they are clearly doing many things right. And I think a lot of those things are coming uh, outside of the workouts because the guys uh, decades ago trained really hard as well. But now we are taking advantage of uh, advanced recovery methods, uh, nutrition, all that great stuff, uh, rehabilitation, prehabilitation, right? Prehab, doing the mobility, flexibility exercises that help uh, prevent injuries and make one more resilient for the hard workouts that help you get world records. Um, and so it's nice to look to the elites for guidance and inspiration. Uh, but we often uh, grab the wrong message. And um, what's important is to understand the philosophical approach and the strategies that they implement, rather than looking at the particulars of their workouts and trying to approximate that in training. Uh, someone who's dedicating their entire life to elite peak performance and is also genetically gifted um, is not a really uh, a good model or sample to, uh, to base your own training decisions on. And one example I want to point out is this um, popularity of the term uh, polarized training or 80-20 training. And what that means is that um, there's some uh, valid and respected science uh, with uh, elite athletes in numerous endurance sports. Uh, Dr. David Seiler, based in Norway, is one of the uh, leading promoters of this, where he studied the training patterns of many elite athletes and presented this idea that uh, around 80% of their training is uh, what could be considered very comfortable, and only 20% is what could be considered high intensity. Uh, but I think people are misappropriating uh, this idea like crazy. And you can't uh, easily quantify what 80-20 means. 
So the, the 20% of your training being at high intensity, uh, what does that really mean? Uh, when you're going and doing a, a interval workout, uh, a lot of that time of that workout, you're at a comfortable intensity because you're warming up, you're taking uh, jogging breaks between the hard effort. And so if the, uh, if the intervals only add up to, let's say, seven minutes of total hard work, right? Let's say you did, you did five quarters or something and, and you jogged a lot and you walked a lot. However, that workout is still uh, very, very difficult and has a high uh, score on the perceived exertion scale requiring recovery time after. You did a lot to your body there. But if you're trying to count by uh, training, hours of time training, hours spent training, uh, the seven minutes accounts for what, you know, one or two or 3% of your uh, total weekly training volume. And so this 80-20 uh, is, is, is misappropriated in that way, not even understanding um, what that means. Um, so think about this in another example. When you go out there and do a workout, like an interval workout, and you come back and it reports your average heart rate on your fancy uh, smartwatch. Well, an average heart rate is virtually meaningless. It's kind of like uh, driving uh, down the road and uh, going 100 on the surface streets, going uh, 40 on the freeway, and uh, speeding up to 120 uh, for the last part of your journey. And so your average speed on your trip uh, down to your friend's house uh, 20 miles away was 30 miles an hour. Who cares? Okay, so that's my first warning uh, at reducing uh, the training uh, a question, the training challenge to ratios like 80-20. However, from the fantastic work of Dr. Seiler and others deep in the exercise physiology scene, we can have this wonderful takeaway point that polarized training uh, is practiced by the vast majority of elite athletes so that they are not spending much time at all in this in-between no man's land zone. And we talk about this a lot in the, uh, the Primal Endurance book where you're going kind of hard. And I had Dave Scott on the podcast um, talking about he, 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 that's his term that he, uh, coined kind of hard. We don't want to be going kind of hard, uh, on a typical workout, uh, perhaps ever. So we're going mostly comfortable in the aerobic zone, building that aerobic base where you get the greatest return on investment. And then once in a while you're going hard instead of kind of hard. Uh, and if you screw up on either end of the scale, if you, uh, go a little too difficult, on your typical uh, training session uh, rather than extremely comfortable and aerobic, or if you go not hard enough on your hard workouts, you're not going to reach your potential either. Why didn't you go hard enough? Because you weren't well rested enough because you're not going easy enough. And so that is the important philosophical takeaway from polarized training. Also, the individuality is so critical here. Um, and someone who's uh, had some setbacks and some uh, inappropriate training methods uh, in recent years might need a sort of detox period to slow down and rebuild the body and rebuild one's aerobic conditioning without any anaerobic stimulation to interfere with that. And that's what periodization is all about, is spending a certain period of time just working on your aerobic base. Uh, but sometimes that might have to extend out. And so for this athlete, uh, the... <laughs> the ratio would be 100 to zero. This is something that Dr. Phil Maffetone has asserted for decades that you do not even want to introduce any anaerobic training until you're having all these thumbs up, uh, good scores on the uh, 
uh, aerobic development. Uh, Mike Pig, uh, one of the greatest triathletes of all time, dominating uh, the Olympic distance circuit for many years, um, he ran into some big problems with his digestive system and basically overstress uh, burnout patterns from an extreme racing schedule for years and years. And so under Maffetone's guidance, he didn't do any speed workouts in training, I believe for two years. Um, there's some detail on this in the book, uh, but he just simply uh, trained at an aerobic heart rate, got better and better and fitter and fitter and more and more competent aerobically. And then he would fly off to a race, win the race and come back home and keep his heart rate in the aerobic zone. That's the 180 minus your age Maffetone formula for all workouts for the entire competitive season. So his speed workouts were paid sessions, winning money on the pro circuit. Uh, in fact, I know the one year that he really had to dedicate to this as he was trying to heal from his um, digestive illness uh, was 1991. He became triathlete of the year. He won almost every race. Uh, some guy upset him in Israel on the last race of the year. And then we had a good time traveling around afterward. But he had a great season where he was stronger and uh, more better performing than ever before without any speed workouts and training. Um, the same thing uh, was a great awakening for me because halfway through my career, I was falling apart. I was training as hard as I possibly could, doing everything I could to recover, sleeping, um, trying to eat the right foods. And I was still uh, seeing guys ahead of me on the race course. And it was really frustrating that I wasn't winning every single race because I was training so hard. Come on, what's the problem here? And that's when I finally had to learn to slow down. And that was what was going to unlock further peak performance potential was to slow down uh, the basic training pace of my routine workouts and kind of go more toward a polarized approach where I did more impressive uh, key workouts or breakthrough workouts, as Mark Sissom called them. He was my coach at that time. And that was uh, a real awakening to realize that uh, when you can regulate your competitive intensity every single day and unleash it properly at the appropriate times, that is far superior to being uh, Mr. Tough Guy or Ms. Tough Gal at every single workout. Are you listening, CrossFit people, if you jumped on this channel? <laughs> I hope so. And for me, uh, because the, the, the competition level was so high and there were so many people racing at a high level, slowing down represented the difference between coming in sixth or seventh and coming in first place. And I mentioned earlier that I won seven races in a row. And that's when things were finally really clicking for me. I had built, built, built up a high fitness level. And then of course, I wasn't going to screw that up in training by doing a workout that was too difficult. I was going to wait and see what happened on the race course and take it easy a lot more than I had in years past. Okay, well, I hope you're convinced by now or you have seen a glimpse of a more sensitive uh, sensible, enjoyable, and rewarding approach to endurance training when you do it correctly. And if you need any more convincing, oh my gosh, the interviews that you're going to see on the Primal Endurance Mastery course with guys like Zach Bitter, the world record holder at 100 miles, uh, Tim DeBoom, the two-time Hawaii Ironman champion, Olympic gold and Olympic silver medalist McKinley Jones from Australia, and Olympic gold and Olympic silver medalist Simon Whitfield from Canada. Some of those interviews, I think, is the most thoughtful stuff that I've ever heard from any athlete. And we were sitting on the rocks uh, looking over the 
the ocean at his home in Victoria, BC. We talked for a long time out there and it was absolutely solid gold. It's life-changing advice from someone who has been to the very top of his sport. I had so many great recordings with my longtime training partner, Andrew McNaughton. So sensible, some sound bites that you'll never forget. And that's all in the Primal Endurance Mastery course. So I hope you can go there and make that part of your overall experience. Along with listening to the podcast, I so much appreciate your questions, comments, feedback. Thank you so much for joining me and email me at podcast at bradventures.com. I look forward to connecting. Thanks so much for listening. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. I hope you enjoy this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery Course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet, peak performance, and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one-on-one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini course with an ebook summary of the Primal Endurance Approach and nine step-by-step videos on how to become a Primal Endurance Athlete. This mini course will help you develop a strong basic understanding of this all-encompassing approach to endurance training that includes primal-aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high-intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest recovery and annual periodization, and finally cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it. 